Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today DFS. My name is Sia Najad, at Sia Najad, and we had such a good time with Andrew Erickson just a few weeks back, talking theory, talking players. We decided to bring him back. Of course, you know him from Fantasy Pros. He's at Andrew Erickson underscore. Andrew, how are you today? Thanks for coming back onto the show. I'm doing great, Sia. Thank you guys for having me back on the show. I'm excited to talk about some of these boom players kind of under the radar, maybe some hidden gems, because I've been going through a lot of the reports on Fantasy Pros. It's a great tool on the website that kind of talks about these players that have really high weekly upside, which I don't think we capitalize on enough. We look at everything from a season-long perspective. Oh, this guy finished as, you know, a top 10 running back in 16 games play. Well, he was only, you know, RB20 in terms of points per game. So I think it's interesting to kind of look at it from a different way. And also we have news. I think that's a really fun thing to talk about here in the middle of July, where it's basically usually dead season for fantasy football, but we have actual news to break down. So I'm excited. Yeah, we have some big news and I want to get your opinion on that, but I'm so glad you said what you said in terms of, you know, we look at season projections and things of that nature, and that's great for redraft and that's great for best ball too. And and to some degree, it's great for DFS, but I love what you said, because what what we're doing with this episode in terms of hidden gems or maybe under the radar players, we're looking for spike weeks from players that are a touch under the radar. So that's what we're going to go over. We're going to go over quarterbacks. We're going to go over some running backs, some receivers, and we're just going to try to identify some guys that maybe in our DFS season, we can identify early and play them early, get the value, get the points, all of that stuff. But Andrew, Baker Mayfield traded to the Carolina Panthers. Pretty big move. I mean, we anticipated it, of course, either to the Carolina Panthers or the Seattle Seahawks. How does this impact the Panthers, just from a football standpoint, in your opinion? Also, talk to me about some of the players this impacts. Well, it's interesting because, you know, when I was doing a lot of my draft research, looking at the Carolina Panthers, you look up and down the roster, at least before the draft, and it was like, you know, this roster is pretty good. You know, up and down, it's like pretty strong at most of the positions. Now, offensive line was a big question mark, and obviously quarterback, and specifically left tackle and the quarterback position, which unfortunately, in, in case of the Panthers, are the two most important positions on the offensive side of the ball. So, but they've upgraded both those positions. You know, they've added a lot of offensive linemen through free agency. They obviously spent a lot of draft capital. Their little draft capital that they had left, a first-round pick on a left, ta- a left tackle in Ikeom Inokinamu. So I feel great about their offensive line, and now they've solidified the quarterback position with Baker Mayfield, who, say what you want about Mayfield in comparison, he's better than everyone else on the Panthers. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. Last year, the Panthers had the worst generated positive EPA per dropback of any team in the NFL. And last year, the Browns were about middle of the pack with Baker Mayfield playing through a separated shoulder. So right. the fact that Mayfield has actually shown competency, he's been a, a good quarterback in two of his four seasons played. Now he's been up and down. There's no doubt about that. It's been more of a, a roller coaster as kind of he, he described it. But the fact that he has flashed and has been good is different from Sam Darnold, who has never been good ever. 
Like, that's the thing that always boggled me about people comparing Sam Darnold to Ryan Tannehill. It's like, oh, he's going to have a fresh start. Sam, Ryan Tannehill showed that he could be good. Like, he mm-hmm. had spurts in Miami where he actually was good. Darnold was never good on the Jets, ever. And that's why I believed he was going to be horrible on the Panthers. And even after he kind of fooled us after scoring like six rushing touchdowns to start the year, he became a pumpkin again and was horrible for the Panthers. And it was just a complete train wreck for their offense. After they started 3-0, they basically just dropped and lost the rest of their games. So from a fantasy perspective, I think that Mayfield landing there is an upgrade for all parties involved. You know, starting with McCaffrey, I think just it's better offense. So more touchdown opportunities for McCaffrey. I, I don't really think... It like moves the needle. I mean, we can't necessarily rank him a lot higher than he's kind of been. And, and McCaffrey's shown that, you know, even if Kyle Allen's the quarterback, it's like the guy could be the RB one, no doubt about it. So, and it also doesn't necessarily protect him from getting hurt. You know, no one's worried about CMC because of the offense, it's because of the injuries. So, it doesn't really move the needle for him. But for DJ Moore specifically, I think is the biggest winner from this move. <coughs> DJ Moore has been one of the few quarterbacks or a few wide receivers that just had. Horrible quarterback play to start their entire NFL career. Just Kyle Allen, uh, you know, a broken Cam Newton, Sam Darnold, Teddy Bridgewater. Just not a lot of guys that are going to up the ante with him. And when you look at Baker Mayfield, so his touchdown rate as a passer is higher than any other quarterback that DJ Moore has ever played with. And that is so huge for Moore because his upside has been capped because of a lack of touchdowns. He's never had more than four receiving touchdowns in any season. And that's where Baker Mayfield can really make his big impact. Like I expect DJ Moore to kind of do the regular thing that he's done, you know, putting up over 90 receptions over, you know, 1,100 receiving yards. But now we get a chance for him to get, you know, six touchdowns, seven touchdowns, eight touchdowns, which moves the needle a lot and gives you a better and higher spike week potential because you get six points for a score. So I, I think it's a massive move for DJ Moore. I think it kind of puts him back into the, back-end wide receiver one conversation. You look at what Jarvis Landry was able to do with the Cleveland Browns two years with Baker Mayfield as quarterback, wide receiver 19 and wide receiver 12 in terms of PPR scoring in 2018 and 2019 with Mayfield at quarterback. So we've already seen it before, and I get the the concern about what happened with OBJ, but for me, that, that looks like such an outlier situation where the connection with Mayfield and OBJ was just so horrible that... That's why I, I'm not necessarily buying that as okay. That's going to happen to DJ Moore. Like he's going. What happened to OBJ is going to happen to DJ Moore. I wouldn't necessarily project that because it was such a rare occurrence. Because OBJ showed he could still play. Just it just didn't work with Mayfield. Like they those two just did not connect. And I wouldn't be you know so bearish on that kind of connection with DJ Moore. So I think it's a big upgrade for DJ Moore. Uh, just moving to a, a comparable quarterback that has shown that he can fuel a wide receiver that he can throw passing touchdowns and just be efficient in the red zone. So I think that it's good. And it also provides some hope for Robbie Anderson, who has now dropped the Y out of the IE to his, to his name. And I mean, Anderson, if his role doesn't change in the offense, I I mean, he's going way too late in drafts. I mean, he ran a route on 91% of dropbacks last season. He was 28th in targets, 46th in expected fantasy points per game. And I mean, he's a wide receiver going outside the top 100. 
in, in some best ball format. So there's no way he's going to be that bad again for a second straight year as a player that is proven and has shown that he can produce when given opportunities. So I think it's good for Robbie Anderson, just the offense as a whole, but specifically DJ Moore, someone I wasn't necessarily drafting a lot before because I just don't draft guys on bad offenses with bad quarterbacks. Um, now with Mayfield under center, I feel more, I feel much better about going after more. And I'm curious, before we move on to some of the quarterbacks we want to talk about that have some boom potential week to week, I'm curious what you think about Christian McCaffrey from a redraft standpoint. I know this isn't a, you know, a redraft show, it's a DFS show, but I'm just curious, like, where, where do you have him slotted? I think I, I, I'm pretty sure I have him in half point PPR. I think I have him number two overall. I think mm -hmm. in PPR, I think I have him three overall. I'm toying with the idea of, of moving Justin Jefferson in front of him. And you're really splitting hairs because it's just the question marks are about, you know, what's your risk tolerance? You know, like how much are you willing to invest? Now, if I were to enter a fantasy football league, you know, let's say for, you know, I have to enter my life savings, for example, like that's the entry fee. Um, I'm probably not going to draft Kish McCaffrey because I just I can't trust, you know, the injuries with him. And I would probably just draft a wide receiver. Just I, I feel like better odds of Justin Jefferson playing the whole season than McCaffrey. But if I'm in a regular 12-team league, you know, $50 buy-in, I, I know that I can run the table with McCaffrey if he stays healthy. And I know that I can beat everybody if he is healthy. Um, I, I don't know if that kind of – it really just it does depend because it's, it's really about the tolerance. And then yeah. if you draft McCaffrey, you have to kind of know, okay, how else do I adjust my draft strategy based on drafting him because, you know, his – how long is he going to stay healthy for? And, and it's a player like with a lot of these other running backs that kind of come that come with that injury prone label. It's like, you know, the minute I draft them and the minute they start putting up points and start kind of racking up touches, I'm trying to ship them off, I'm trying to trade yeah. them. So, you know, McCaffrey comes out, you know, we're obviously we're talking like DFS here. McCaffrey comes out week one, scores 30 points. Let's say Jonathan Taylor has a eh game, scores like 15 points or whatever. He, you know, he doesn't score a touchdown or something like that. You can immediately just trade McCaffrey to get Jonathan Taylor the next week. Like yeah. you can immediately do that. And it just seems, it seems crazy for me to say that and for the listeners to, to realize that, but people are so, you know, recency bias is so yeah. strong that people will be like, oh, I should have took McCaffrey. Like he was, he was a lock. And then what do you know? McCaffrey goes out week two, gets hurt. And then Jonathan Taylor is, you know, the one-on-one once again. So, you know, if I do take one of these running backs, they are a guy that I'm trying to, you know, whether it's McCaffrey or Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook, it's like, if they start out hot, I, I've seen this story play out before. It's like, you know, running backs are healthy until they're not. So if you can ship them off for a stud wide receiver coming off a bad game, it's like, do that. So I think that even after you draft these players and rank them, it's like the roster construction really never ends. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Justin Jefferson because on the list that we're going to talk about today, Kirk Cousins is is front and center on that list. You have two quarterbacks. We'll talk about the second one in, in a minute. But uh, Kirk Cousins, talk to me about him. I feel like he's starting to receive a little bit of the credit that he deserves, but not enough. Do you agree with that? And, and, and how come you like Kirk Cousins this year? I, st I still don't think it's enough just yeah. because the, you know, he's Kirk Cousins. Like he doesn't run, he's not a mobile quarterback. So already from that standpoint, you kind of get knocked, even though what he does every year is basically put up, you know, back and wide receiver or quarterback 12 numbers. Like he's always kind of a top 12 quarterback in the 10 to 12 range, which doesn't necessarily move the needle. But when you look at the way that he does it, you know, he had the same amount of top six finishes last year as Kyler Murray did. So, you know, the difference is Kyler Murray had more top three finishes because of the rushing that he is able to provide. 
but Cousins is still putting up these really massively big games because of the touchdowns he's able to throw. He plays in a dome. The Vikings defense has regressed over the last couple of years with injuries and just roster turnover. It has not been this elite defense. And now you have a new coach coming in that is embracing the passing game. Like we haven't seen this from Kirk Cousins since his time and tenure in Minnesota. And basically we have to go back to his Washington days to realize that Cousins was like flirting with a 5,000 yard passing season at one point with Washington. And he was someone that I remember drafting a lot. I remember I had one of my fantasy teams was named like Captain Kirk to the rescue. Like that was my fantasy football team name because I was like all about Kirk Cousins as a, a late round quarterback that you could always get. If you look at what Cousins also did, so I mentioned the top six finishes. He had four of them last year. That was more than Joe Burrow, who was being drafted, you know, as a top five, top six guy, who's also a pocket passer, who also doesn't run. Uh, he had more top six finishes than Lamar Jackson did. Now, Jackson obviously missed a bunch of games, but still, it's showing the upside that Cousins had, and, and he also had more top six finishes than Derek Carr. So, now, Carr's situation is a little bit different because I expect him to probably have a little bit more upside with Devontae Adams in the fold, but Cousins, you know, Cousins didn't get an addition of any player, but he still has, arguably, in my opinion, like a top three wide receiver on his roster already in, in Justin Jefferson, and a, a coach that's going to embrace more of the passing attack. So that's why I think Kirk Cousins, especially in like two quarterback leagues and DFS, I think he's going to be a player that's underpriced more often than not because he doesn't run, but he's a guy you stack him up. You stack him up with Justin Jefferson. He's a really player that that I like for, for that reason. Yeah, and it's interesting because, again, we're talking from a DFS standpoint, which is why I love you're talking about the spike weeks, the, like the top six weeks, because I think that would surprise a lot of people when you contrast him to some of the other players you mentioned. Um, Kyler Murray was one of them, which we'll talk about in a second. But in week one, I mean, if you look at like we, we've talked about this earlier uh, on the show a few weeks back when we're, we're talking about the week one slate. So if, if you play the afternoon slate, if that's what you want to do, or you want to play the main slate, obviously everybody's going to be on the Chiefs and the Cardinals for good reason, right? The Raiders and the Chargers. Well, Minnesota's at home in good conditions against Green Bay. I'm not saying that's going to be a better game and a higher total. In fact, the books are saying it's going to be about four points less. But in terms of being sneaky and being different, knowing that Kirk Cousins has that type of upside Listen, it's a contrarian play. I get that. But I mean, these are the types of you know permutations you go through knowing that Kirk Cousins has done it in the past. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's definitely it's fun. Or it's already fun to kind of talk about the week one slate, even though we're, we're, we're seemingly months away. But this is the kind of the mindset you need to get into. We, we know that that Cardinals and Chiefs game is going to be, you know, chalky. And, and we've seen this before with so many Chiefs chalky games like they, they don't always hit. And it's just right. better off if you're trying to take down a big tournament. It's just better to fade the overly popular games. And the one time, you know, that you pick the other game, if you're right on it, because we've seen the Packers and Vikings shoot out before. Like, this isn't some rare occurrence. You know, last year, I think that we actually talked about this on the show, specifically with A.J. Dillon, where A.J. Dillon was chalk and ended up being the Packers passing game that you wanted to have in that particular matchup. Because... All it takes is the Vikings to get a lead on the Packers, and then Aaron Rodgers has to, you know, pick up the tempo and, you know, cause a shootout. So I think that you're spot on with that. And, and I already know Kirk Cousins is going to be priced cheaper than Kyler Murray. He's going to be cheaper than uh, Patrick Mahomes. He's going to be cheaper than Aaron Rodgers just because he's Kirk Cousins. And that's how you get access to guys like Justin Jefferson. You can double stack him with Irv Smith Jr. coming off an injury. He's probably going to be really cheap, too, in the 3 to 4K range. Adam Thielen, touchdown monster, KJ Osborne, an every down player. There's just a lot of ways you can attack it where there's a lot of question marks about, okay, you got Mahomes. Okay, who are you playing him with? 
Like, uh, okay, like, who knows who the receiver is going to be? So a lot of ambiguity where I know it's going to be Justin Jefferson and then one of the other ancillary receivers for the Vikings. Yeah, I love that. Um, So let's talk about Kyler Murray. That was the other quarterback on your list. And he does face Kansas City week one. That's an afternoon game, 53-point total. And for the record, week two, he's at Las Vegas. So that's um, that's – that's pretty interesting because if there was a time for him to really boom, it would be in those first couple of weeks. I think some people are lukewarm on Kyler Murray because, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is is out for the first six games. Christian Kirk is gone. I think people are confident in Marquise Brown, but I, I think the the jury is sort of still out on Kyler Murray. How do you see this playing out for him? Well, the thing with Kyler is, especially in a DFS perspective, that you don't need to necessarily overstack him because when he has his 99th percentile outcome, you know, if he's scoring 30 fantasy points, chances are he has a rushing touchdown. He has 40 or 50 rushing yards on the ground. And what he did at the end of last season without Hopkins in the lineup, he had more rushing yards. You know, he was averaging around 26 rushing yards per game with DeAndre Hopkins in the 10 games they played together. In the other four games, Kyler Murray averaged near 40 rushing yards per game. So it, it makes intuitive sense, and the numbers back it up, that, okay, I'm missing my, my main red zone weapon, my big receiver, so what am I going to do? Uh, I'm going to run the ball. And, and the thing with Kyler is that his rushing has always fluctuated based on his health. When is he the most healthy? Week one. Like, that's when he's going to be the most healthy that he's going to be all year. And he has all the incentive to ball out now. His contract is still up in the air. The Cardinals have kind of been, hey, we're going to get it done. So I don't necessarily think he's playing for a contract. But he still almost wants to prove that he is you know, worth the money that the Cardinals are going to ultimately probably pay him. So I think for Kyler Murray, I think it's easy to <clears throat> stack him with one player, whether it's a Zach Ertz, who's had a high target share without Hopkins last year whether it's Marquise Brown. So it's funny because, you know, everyone is assuming, you know, Devontae Adams and uh, Derek Carr are just going to pick up after they left off 10 years ago or whatever in Fresno State, where Kyler Murray played with Marquise Brown not that long ago at Oklahoma. Uh, so, I mean, that narrative isn't being talked about enough where people just, oh, yeah, no, Derek Carr. And, I mean, I don't know about UCA, but, I mean, when I was, I don't know, I don't know if I could just pick up, you know, a relationship that I had like 10 years ago and just, oh, yeah. Nothing changed. I, I, I think things have changed a little bit. So, um, you know, Cal is a little bit bearish on the Devontae Adams-Derek Carr connection just being, you know, as smooth as silk, where I think the Marquise Brown-Kyler Murray connection from college, I think, is being undersold a bit. Yeah, I'm definitely high on Marquise Brown this year. Um, let's talk about a couple of running backs. So I mentioned earlier that Packers-Minnesota Vikings game, and it's interesting because I'm, I hear a lot of varied opinions on Aaron Jones. I'm a big fan of him this year. Uh, I think there's like one really obvious reason with Devontae Adams out. I think even if A.J. Dillon gets carries, Jones is going to get a lot of work both through the passing and the rushing game. But you have both running backs on here, or I should say the Packers running backs in general. Talk to me about the boom potential there. So the thing with these guys is, especially if you've ever played like Aaron Jones in like a cash lineup before, um, it's not fun <laughs> because of the way the Packers deploy their running backs, if you just watch the Packers games, um, it's they split the backfield and it's really annoying because you're hoping Aaron Jones is getting the majority of touches and then you just watch and it's like, that's not happening. Like he's not getting the majority of touches. And I know we look at the splits with Adams out of the lineup. We're like, oh my God, Aaron Jones, like he has this insane receiving, but it's, and especially, you know, as someone that plays in like player props, one of the hardest player props to nail a lot of the times is running backs in terms of the receiving game, because it's game script dependent. You know, they're not going to be throwing the ball to Aaron Jones five or six times a game if the Packers are up by 14, because who's getting the ball in that case? Oh, it's AJ Dillon getting his 25th, 26th, 27th carry in that game. 
So that's why these particular these two running backs are players that I'm not necessarily like, oh, I'm, you know, totally fading them in redraft, but it's like these are guys are going to be more often than not probably underowned because they're yeah. going to be hard to project on a week to week basis because it's game script dependent. Now, if the Packers are big home favorites and AJ Dillon is the chalk, then it's like I'm going to go with Aaron Jones and hope that this game flips on its side. The other team jumps out to a lead, and they're going to have to use Aaron Jones in the passing game because I know Aaron Jones ha- is going to have ceiling games because of Adams being out of the lineup. But it's not every single week he's going to get necessarily seven, eight, nine targets. I think it's just aggressive targeting. But the same thing with A.J. Dillon, where this dude's going to have massive games where the Packers are just steamrolling an opponent, which will also happen in certain particular matchups. So kind trying to identify whether where the market is going with one of these running backs one week, because it, it's usually going to be one or the other that the market is kind of favoring. But when you look at them from what they did last year, so we're looking at boom rates, basically went to any time a running back finished in the top six, running backs with the lowest boom rates being drafted inside the top two rounds included Javante Williams and Aaron Jones. What do those two running backs have in common? They're in 50-50 committees with other good running backs, Melvin Gordon and A.J. Dillon. And when you look at Aaron Jones, he finished as a top 12 running back in just 33% of his games last season. He had one top 10 finish from week nine onward. Dillon had two. So the spike week potential is there for Aaron Jones, but trying to project it from week to week is going to be very hard. And the same thing with A.J. Dillon. You know, he busted four times last year despite finish, finishing as the RB22. So there, there's, there's definitely going to be leverage with these Packers running backs. And I think that's why I kind of like the approach with them in DFS and just trying to look at the matchups and try to think, all right, you know, where do I really think this could be a big Aaron Jones game or a big AJ Dillon game? Because in redraft, I, I really think that these guys are going to be probably really frustrating to own. And they're going to have big weeks, but it's like, oh yeah, Aaron Jones got me 30 points this week and then he got me six because the Packers got a huge lead and then they just gave the ball to A.J. Dillon. Like, and that's going to be frustrating for some people. So I think that just to be aware of these two players because they're going to have big roles and at the end of the season, it would not be surprise me at all to see them kind of both finish as top 15 running backs. But the way they get there is not necessarily going to be indicative. Oh, easy top 15 running backs. Like, nah, like it didn't work out exactly like that. Yeah, and I think that uncertainty, to your point about DFS, that uncertainty is going to breed kind of like lower rostership. Just yeah. inevitably, that's what's going to happen. So you want to take advantage of that. And it's interesting because their first handful of games, I mean, they're at Minnesota, home against Chicago, at the Bucks, then they're home against New England, then they get the Giants at home, the Jets at home, at Washington, then they're at Buffalo, and then at Detroit. Like, there's a lot of food on the table for these two running backs. And, and I think one potential strategy is to – Play the guy that is is maybe not in the game script that you think it's going to be. In other words, in, in other words, fade the game script because you know, in a game where maybe people think Green Bay is going to be be behind, most people are going to go to Aaron Jones as opposed to AJ Dillon. So anyway, either way, I, I, I love those two. I think uh, I think it's going to be frustrating in redraft, but in DFS, I think there. I know I'm going to be taking a lot of shots uh, with one of those two guys week to week. Um, speaking of taking shots, so Jonathan Taylor, you know, probably the best running back in the NFL, depending on how you measure that, certainly in the best situation. He has a complimentary back next to him, and that was one of the guys on your list, Naheem Hines. Talk to me. So Naheem Hines is is one of these running backs that I really don't ever want to roster and redraft because he is really hard to project when he's going to go off. Like, it just... Again, going back to these running backs that are really only used primarily in the passing game as tertiary pieces, it's really about the game script. But the thing with Hines is last year, 
he was a total wasted pick, you know, busted in over 69% of his games with Carson Wentz at quarterback because Carson Wentz was not willing to check the ball down to his running backs. But who now steps in for placing, replacing Carson Wentz is Matt Ryan, who really fits the profile more as a Philip Rivers, um, older quarterback, statuesque, like Matt Ryan's not moving around in the pocket trying to pick up yards with his legs. Like that's not happening. And when Rivers was the quarterback for the Colts in 2020, Hines bust rate was 36%. So almost half of what it was last year. And Hines also had a 31% top 24 finish rate. So Hines was hitting at a much higher pace just based on the quarterback difference. Now, Jonathan Taylor obviously took on a bigger role last year, but the fact that Matt Ryan is a quarterback that is willing to check the ball down, be a pass-heavy, you know, check-down quarterback, that just means Hines is going to naturally have more spiked weeks of potential. So I think in best ball formats, Hines makes a lot of sense. Going back to is Jonathan Taylor super chalk this week in you know a certain matchup? What if what if the Colts fall behind? Then then Naheem Hines is going to have the big game. Like that's kind of the game script you're looking for as a leverage play against you know a Jonathan Taylor chalk week. Now I know it's always super scary to fade Jonathan Taylor chalk when he's facing like the Texans or the Jaguars or any of these other you know pushover AFC South defenses, but Again, if you're going to win a big tournament, you got to take a stand somewhere. And I think it's with these pass-catching running backs. We've seen it before, you know, with Matt Ryan, specifically a quarterback. And even looking at last year, Cordero Patterson, Mike Davis, those guys were peppered with targets in the passing game because the Falcons, number one, didn't have a lot of weapons. Similar to kind of like the Colts. Got Michael Pittman, but okay, who else is there is like established? I mean, you could argue Naeem Hines is like the most established receiver out of all of them. So I think that Hines has some boom potential that people are shying away from just because of how he did last year. But, you know, if you just look back at 2020, like Hines was a top 30 running back in PPR season long. So I do think that he's going to probably finish closer to there than he did last year. And speaking of AFC South, so it's an interesting schedule to start. They're at Houston, at Jacksonville. So that's kind of great. Home against Kansas City, home against Tennessee, at Denver, and then they get Jacksonville again. So they get Jacksonville twice in the first six weeks. Um, And really, the schedule is kind of pretty great for them the whole way through as far as I can see. So um, interesting there. I definitely think, obviously, that you're right. There's going to be games where they're down. Maybe that week three game against Kansas City. Uh, Maybe... They're, they're battling from behind, and Naheem Hines could be the guy in that game. Uh, interesting play to maybe fade Jonathan Taylor there. Uh, the last running back I want to talk about, or that you want to talk about, I should say, Ramondre Stevenson. Super interesting situation here. Obviously, feels like, I shouldn't say obviously, feels like Damian Harris is the 1A to Stevenson's 1B. Stevenson also feels a little bit more dynamic. Tell me about uh, why you think Stevenson might have some boom potential. Yeah, last year, Stevenson was the prototypical boomer bust running back. So top 36 hit rate, 55% of the time. And then basically in every other game, 45% bust rate. So he was either basically cracking your lineup, you know, in a traditional like best ball format um, and basically a little bit over the half of his games and then just being totally useless in the other half. Now, looking at the games where he was totally useless, it was either because, you know, he was inactive or just clearly, you know, buried on the depth chart. But during the second half of the season, you know, Ramondre basically carved out a 50-50 role with Damian Harris. And the way I kind of look at Stevenson in redraft leagues, he kind of reminds me just like a cheaper A.J. Dillon. Like just someone that I expect to be in a 50-50 kind of committee with the quote-unquote starting running back. But the difference is Stevenson has 
I believe, the edge in receiving, whereas A.J. Dillon kind of falls to the wayside to Aaron Jones and, and part of who is the better receiver in the passing game. So that's why I think Stevenson is going to be a running back that just has so much big play potential in this Patriots offense if Damian Harris gets hurt, if he just carves out the bigger role. You know, something that I do every year is I go to Patriots training camp, you know, being from the New England area, and that's something I'm going to be watching with my own eyes. Like, is Ramondre Stevenson catching passes out of the backfield, or is this just like some BS report that came out that was not true whatsoever? Like, I'm going to look with my own eyes because you can learn a lot when you're looking and watching these players practice from a fantasy lens. You know, last year, one of my big takeaways from training camp was, oh my God, like, they're using Hunter Henry so much in the red zone. Oh, what do you know what happened? Oh, Hunter Henry led the team in touchdowns. Oh, big, big, big surprise. And they never used Johnny Smith, which they never used at practice. So things like that, I'm, I'm really going to be looking at closely. And if he is like operating on third downs, I see James White on the sideline, like not doing anything. It's like, this guy's not going to be ready. So they're not going to turn over to a rookie, one like J.J. Taylor. And like, no, I think it's going to be Stevenson in a 50-50 split with Harris. But... Stevenson's getting the receiving work. And if the Patriots are playing in games where they need to be a little bit more up-tempo, more pass-heavy, you know, their defense may regress. They lost a lot of key pieces. I mean, they play some tough teams open the season, especially on the road. So, I mean, you could be looking at Stevenson just outscoring Damian Harris point blank. Yeah, I, I like that play quite a bit. I think uh, I think Stevenson, from a DFS standpoint, is extremely interesting. So we are going to talk about, before we close the show, five more receivers and a tight end uh, with uh, at Andrew Erickson underscore. And for the record, if you don't already follow him, when he goes to Patriots training camp, while a lot of this stuff is on Fantasy Pros, and I'm sure they have some free content and uh, content behind the paywall, which he's going to tell us about at the end of the show, but... He's a really good follow on Twitter. A lot of the, like the great information that, or at least some of the great information that you see at Fantasy Pros, um, he he tweets out. And so definitely follow at Andrew Erickson underscore. And we'll be back after a break uh, in a word from our partners. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back with Andrew Erickson at Andrew Erickson underscore Mike Williams. This is a high-powered offense. I think everybody wants a piece of the Los Angeles Chargers, whether that's a Josh Palmer or a Keenan Allen or a Mike Williams or obviously, you know, Austin Eckler and, of course, Justin Herbert. Uh, tell me about Mike Williams. I think a lot of people are a little skittish on Mike Williams, and a lot of people think he's going to completely go off. I'll agree with it right off the bat before you even say anything that from a DFS standpoint, I kind of love the guy. From a redraft standpoint, I'm not so sure. Tell me what you think. Yeah, with Mike Williams, it's funny. You know, we had a poll. I think it was like a Family Feud episode we did on Fantasy Pros, and it was who is the 
most frustrating boomer bust wide receiver <laughs> to own. And Mike Williams was my first answer. And it was the number one answer for the most points because that's what he was last year. You know, first six weeks, just absolutely lights out. And then just basically disappeared, you know, on the milk carton. Like, where is Mike Williams in this offense? And, but, but that's why he's so enticing for DFS purposes and specifically best ball, where you don't necessarily need to make those decisions. And for me, you know, Mike Williams is the biggest upside play versus Keenan Allen, where, you know, Keenan Allen, you know, if you played him in DFS last year, chances are, you know, you cashed, you know, you probably had good finishes, but he would never won you your DFS league, your, your tournament. Like he just didn't have those weeks. And it's because he's so volume dependent and he actually had no boom performances last year. Like he had zero. Mike Williams had four. So for me, it's crazy to think that they both finished as wide receiver ones at the exact same rate, 33% last year in PPR. So not even talking like half point PPR standard where Mike Williams has an even bigger edge over Keenan Allen. It's just Mike Williams can deliver a wide receiver one week for you. He can be the highest scoring player on the week. For Keenan Allen to do that at this age in his career, he has to get like 20 targets in a game. And that's just not really feasible in his range of outcomes anymore, just getting a little bit older. Now, it's hard to pass up because he projects so well every single week. Oh, my God, he's going to get 10 to 12 targets. But what he's doing with those targets every single week is not what Mike Williams can do with his targets every single week. So it's like, I'm going to just play Mike Williams every week. And, you know, if he scores zero points, like, all right, whatever. That means he'll be less owned next week. And then you go, you play him next week. Oh, he scores 35. Like, that's going to be the play with Mike Williams. And you got to take your lumps with playing him but realize that eventually he's going to pay off in a big game. Whereas Keenan Allen, yeah, he's going to kind of give you his median projection every single week and you're going to feel good about it. And even more like a redraft league because he's scoring for you every single week consistently, but it's not altering for a big tournament. It's not really winning you your week. So I think it's really the big difference. And for me, it's like in best ball, I'm taking my Williams over Keenan Allen every day of the week. Like yeah. it's not even close for me. I know people have them closely ranked, but I think it's so obvious that Mike Williams, I want to play in DFS. Mike Williams, I want to play in best ball. And Keenan Allen, I will leave for full point PPR, redraft leagues where I have to manage my league. And it's like nice to have Keenan Allen slotted in there. It's like, all right, I got my points. I don't need to worry about him boomer busting. I don't need to worry about starter sitting him. Like he's fine where he is. Whereas Mike Williams has just this like massive upside every week that comes with, unfortunately, a, a very, very shaky floor. Yeah, so I want to ask you a quick question before we move on to the next receiver. But I do want to point out the Chargers schedule, like get stock in the Los Angeles Chargers, whether it's DFS <laughs> or otherwise. Uh, Las Vegas at Kansas City, Jacksonville at Houston, at Cleveland, Denver, Seattle, and then they're by and then they go to Atlanta. Like this is I mean, they're in the AFC West. It's going to be fireworks for them in particular. Well, almost I think that entire conference, actually, but their sort of non AFC West games are pretty great. So just I wanted to point that out. Uh, don't fade the Chargers unless you got something better going on. But the one thing I wanted to ask you, Andrew, if you were going to take like this is what we like to do with big offenses like the Kansas City Chiefs, for example. We want to know maybe it's best ball, maybe it's DFS one week. Is there a guy that has spike potential that's not Keenan Allen, that's not Mike Williams from, from the receiver position? In other words, Josh Palmer, Guyton. Is there anybody that you might be focused on early that you think Mike and I know it's early, like we're not really, you know, 
we're not really in the preseason yet, but I've heard some buzz about Josh Palmer. Uh, I'm not so high on Guyton. Any of those two guys interest you at all? I, I like Josh Palmer of the two players. Um, it just, it's really going to depend on, you know, which guy is, you know, running in as the number three receiver. Now I've heard different like mixed reports basically saying Jalen Guyton's like the number three because he offers speed. Whereas Guyton, or excuse me, whereas Palmer is basically like the direct backup to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. So he's only really going to see his playing time increase if one of those guys can't go. So for that, for those reasons, the guy actually leaned towards more. And I think is just kind of the common practice you should do in DFS and best ball is pairing your quarterback with the tight end because tight ends are so touchdown dependent anyway. It's like, all right, well, if Justin Herbert's going to throw for 303, uh, I need him. I need to correlate the touchdown somehow. Mike Williams catches two. Who's a good bet to catch that other touchdown? For me, it's Gerald Everett. And, and I've definitely been a Gerald Everett stand basically since his days with the Rams. You know, he's always looked very good from an efficiency standpoint, breaking tackles after the catch. And last year was kind of not a disaster necessarily because there were parts of the season where he was really productive. But we have to keep in mind, like he basically mimicked and matched what Jared Cook did on a points per game basis last year, despite playing in an offense that was one of the most run heavy in the NFL. We don't expect that from the Chargers whatsoever. Chargers were third in passing attempts per game last year. So for me, it's Gerald Everett as kind of that double stacking partner with Justin Herbert and then, you know, going with a Mike Williams because I think that Everett has touchdown equity playing tight end in this offense. And I think that he's he's talented and underrated in kind of across all formats. So he's one of my most, you know, heavily exposed tight ends that I have in, in my best ball drafts. And I think that, you know, like you mentioned in week one, I mean, you're, I'm going to be rolling out some Herbert, Mike Williams, Gerald Everett stacks for sure. I love that. And I, I actually, I'm also a Gerald Everett stan. Yes. I, I, I don't know if I hate to admit it or I love to admit it. I'm, I'm glad you are as well. Mount, Mount Everett is going to kaboom. That's, that's all I got to say. This is the year. Well, going, you made, you made the point in terms of how run heavy Seattle was, but also just their number of plays per game. They were worst yeah. in the league or last, I should say last in the league. So, I mean, this is really, you can't really come up with a better situation in terms of a tight end going from one offense to the other. So if, if there was a year for Gerald Everett to, to sort of, I don't know, the potential for him like five, four or five years ago, we really thought there was a ton of upside there. And I don't know, I don't know that he's met it, but he might be in the perfect offense to actually meet his potential this time. Andrew, the next receiver I want to talk to you about, Elijah Moore. He was fantastic last year. The Jets go out and draft Garrett Wilson. They still have Corey Davis. Tell me why Elijah Moore should maybe be in some of our DFS lineups in the first part of the season. Yeah, I think that Elijah Moore just kind of proved what he could do last year. He finished as a top 12 wide receiver in 27% of his games played. That was better than DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, Michael Pittman, A.J. Brown, and Stephon Diggs. Like, the guy was getting it done with horrible quarterback play, regardless of who was around him, and he delivered upon it. So I just think that he's a player that flashed top six overall upside. Like, he put up games that some receivers have never done ever in their careers. Like Jerry Judy, for example, has never been, or last year was never a top 24 wide receiver in any game he played. Like, and I get the quarterback play wasn't great. Okay, Elijah Moore had horrible quarterbacks too. And yet he was able to get it done. So like, I I hate when we make excuses for, oh, this guy's a horrible quarterback play, a horrible quarterback play. It's like, okay, but like, eventually you got to show me that you're still good as a wide receiver. It's not, these guys are all professional quarterbacks. Not every pass they throw is off the target. Like they do throw some accurate balls here and there. And are you making the most of those opportunities? Now it's obviously going to be inconsistent. I don't expect any wide receiver to be consistently producing with bad quarterback play. That's not fair, but 
you have to flash. Like, you've got to flash the spike week potential, and yeah. Elijah Moore did that last year, um, which is why I definitely think that he's a player that is going to be undervalued because of the all the pieces the Jets added, but he's the proven commodity. Like, he's yeah. the proven commodity in this offense. So I, I think that Zach Wilson at least showed last year a little bit that when you kind of look at who his wide receiver one was in all of his healthy games, whether it was Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, or Braxton Berrios, like, he kind of peppered his number one target. So week one is going to be interesting because I think that we're going to see a Jets receiver emerge as the number one guy, and then everyone else kind of fall to the wayside. It's just a matter of, like, okay, who's that guy going to be? And if I'm, you know, if I were to bet on a guy, I would probably bet on Elijah Moore being that guy. Yeah, and you use the word, the phrase, uh, proven commodity. And it brings me to the next guy who got paid like he's a proven commodity. And it's probably in an offense that's going to be playing a lot of catch-up. So perhaps he you know, gets the most targets that he's seen in a season. Tell me about Christian Kirk. Yeah, Christian Kirk, just one of these receivers that I think it's pretty easy to kind of peg him in as the target leader on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And yet he's just really not valued there by the market. You know, he finishes a top 36 receiver in 63, 63% of his games last year. So well above 50%. Um, you know, his ADP is wide receiver 42. So, you know, we're not even viewing him as a wide receiver three when that's basically all he was and more in the majority of his games last year. He showed he could be a top 12 guy without DeAndre Hopkins healthy last year. He's explosive from the slot. That's where the Jacksonville Jaguars plan to play him. And I think the biggest thing is the Jaguars are going to throw a lot more with Doug Peterson. And it, it can't not be more efficient. Like, it has to be more efficient than it was passing the ball last year. So I, I think that, you know, we're, we're looking at, I'm always trying to find, like, arbitrage plays. You know, can I find a cheaper version of X player in from round six in round 10? And, and I think Christian Kirk is kind of the arbitrage player of any guy you're drafting because he's going to lead his team in targets. Just wait to draft Christian Kirk. Like, that's the guy you want. That's like the cheapest guy you can get potentially in one of these offenses that's going to lead his team in targets um, along with some other guys. But I think Kirk, I mean, he's going to get all the opportunity based on the way that they paid him. And I don't think he's necessarily a bad player. Like, is he worth the contract they gave him? Not necessarily, but he he balled out last year. Like, what like what is what are the Jaguars supposed to do? Like, they're a bad team. Like, you have to overpay to get guys on, to that's come true. to play for you. So that's true. Um, you, there are much worse receivers they could have signed than Christian Kirk. And so I, I think that he's in line for, you know, solid amount of targets in this offense. So, Andrew, I want to move on to the guy that I know you want to talk about. Everybody, <laughs> if you follow at Andrew Erickson underscore, you know he is a big Cortland Sutton guy. Cortland coming off an injury, of course. Uh, I got to ask you, though. When it comes to Christian Kirk, is there a wide receiver? You just tell tell me a name. Is there a wide receiver too that, for DFS purposes, you think has some high upside because this team is going to be passing a lot, and the vol not all the volume, of course, is going to Christian Kirk. Well, I think it's probably more likely going to probably be one of the running backs or the tight end. You know, I think that Zay Jones and Marvin Jones are fine guys. I just don't necessarily think either of them are going to command like a super high target share. Zay Jones has kind of been a journeyman. Marvin Jones is an older player. But ETN, you know, was a pass catcher at the college level, obviously has chemistry built in with Trevor Lawrence. There will be no James Robinson. At least I'm projecting him not to start the season. And then Evan Ingram, you know, if you look at Doug Peterson's history, he's been a guy that's used a lot of tight ends. They have Dan Arnold there as well. So it could be a combination of the tight ends also getting a lot of the targets. So really, for me, it's still mostly Kirk. Like Zay Jones, I'll take some shots on later in drafts, but 
it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how the targets ultimately shake out in this offense um, for Jacksonville. But money's on Kirk and probably ETN as kind of the top two guys. Yeah, I love ETN. Uh, and I misspoke. Cortland Sutton, he was injured two years ago, not last year. He did get paid last year. He signed a four-year uh, $60.8 million extension. Tell me about Cortland Sutton. Obviously, this is a somewhat crowded receiver <laughs> core, but you have Russell Wilson. Um you know, just from a talent standpoint, I always loved Judy's footwork coming off the line, just his route running in general. Um, it hasn't really emerged. Is Cortland Sutton the most talented receiver on this roster? Well, he's the most proven receiver that's actually scored fantasy points. Like, <laughs> yeah. Jerry Judy can, you know, flash his footwork as much as he wants. But, dude, until you make, you got to turn it into production at some point. Like, yeah. you can only, you know, separate at will so often before you score fantasy points. And, like, that's the thing. Like, I think we're losing sight of what matters in fantasy, and it's actually scoring points and scoring <laughs> touchdowns. And that's what Cortland Sutton's been able to do. You know, at the beginning of last year, when there was still horrible quarterback play in Denver, you know, Sutton was a top-six finisher twice. That was the same amount of times as DK Metcalf. The same amount. DK Metcalf had Russell Wilson for the majority of all of last season. And Sutton was still putting up the same type of spike weeks in a horrible offense that DK Metcalf was with Russell Wilson. And, you know, to kind of throw some more shade at Amari Cooper, Cooper played in the NFL's highest scoring offense and only had a 1% higher boom rate than Cortland Sutton and DK Metcalf. So I won't necessarily talk about how Cooper is slightly overrated, but just talking oh, about how... Listen, that's another, Andrew, that's another show because I completely <laughs> agree with you and I absolutely got annihilated in, in one of my fantasy football chats when Omari got traded to uh, to Cleveland. I got annihilated for saying he was overrated. I mean, annihilated. Not by everybody, but I told... Like, that's that, that's a that's another show. Yeah. <laughs> but that that is... That it's still really interesting because I don't think many people would have perceived Cortland Sutton having more boom... Like, boom games... Than, uh, or I should say, higher percentage of boom than uh, Amari Cooper last year. Yeah, I mean, it's just basically people are, you know, the the common argument against Sutton is just, okay, well, when Judy came back to the offense, you know, he out-targeted Sutton. Okay, that is true. But Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is not Russell Wilson. Like, is that what we're just projecting is going to happen? It's like, oh, well, you know, Russell Wilson is exactly like Bridgewater, so he's going to favor Jerry Judy. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm going with someone that's produced and shown that he can be a red zone threat. Jerry Judy, two years in the league, has not been someone that's been a red zone presence. Cortland Sutton looks like is basically the receiver you built in a lab to be a red zone monster. And I, I've talked about Sutton being, you know, this year's Cooper Cup, and I had, you know, problems trying to like contextualize like what I meant by that. And not necessarily that he's going to be the fantasy wide receiver one and he's going to break, you know, every single receiving record. And then it kind of came to me that, you know, Sutton could lead the NFL in red zone targets. And that's what Cooper Cup did last year. And when you lead the NFL in red zone targets, like you're going to score a lot of fantasy points. So so that's really kind of where my take is kind of settled in on Sutton, that I think he can lead the NFL in red zone targets. We've seen Russ fuel basically the last three years. I see LSE Ox receivers finish top five in red zone targets. So I think top five is definitely well within his range of outcomes. And if you're top five, then of course, like, you know, finishing number one overall is not really that crazy to think. So I, I think that just Sutton just has this, this massive potential with touchdowns in this offense. And I think that's enough what people are talking about. You know, we're talking about, we want these guys in good offenses. Okay. But so why? Because you want the guy with the most targets? No, you want the guy with the most touchdowns. Like, that's the question you should be asking. It's something I thought about when I was talking about 
some Chiefs receivers, which actually dovetails nicely into our next receiver here. But the question we should be asking is not, okay, which Chiefs receiver is going to have the most targets? That's the guy that's probably going to have the safest floor from week to week. We should be asking, which Chiefs receiver is going to score the most touchdowns? Because, like, why else do we want Patrick Mahomes to be our quarterback? Because he's going to throw 40 touchdowns. So I just that was something that kind of came to me when I was researching some of these receivers and these offenses and basically being like, you know, it's fine that the targets are there or we're projecting this guy to get the most targets, but who's getting the touchdowns? Like, because that's what makes the difference. Why was Cooper Cup so good last year? Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler. Look at how many touchdowns they all scored. So many. And, and that's kind of why I'm latching on to Sutton as my guy in Denver. And for the for the record, Denver opens at Seattle, which of course is interesting for a myriad of reasons. And for the record, Baker Mayfield opens against uh, the Cleveland Browns, which is super interesting. And like, it's so NFL for everything <laughs> to work out so perfectly. But I do want to mention before the week nine bye for the Denver Broncos, it's pretty easy at Seattle in terms of scoring fantasy points at Seattle, Houston at home. San Francisco at home, at Las Vegas, Indy at home, at the Chargers, and then they're home against the Jets, and then they're at Jacksonville. I mean, this is a team that's going to probably shoot out to a really good record before they're by, before they really get into just sort of the heart and soul of their AFC West uh, schedule. But let me ask you about the last receiver. We have one receiver, and we have one tight end. And I got I to gotta share this story with you because I'm on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio um, nine o'clock Saturday night, every, every Saturday night. And we're starting to talk about football. We had a caller come in and say that the Kansas city chiefs are going to be better. He kind of implied like way better without Tyree kill. And I kind of went off on this rant about how, like, how, like, to, like Juju, MVS, uh, McCole Hardman, Sky Moore. Like I, I'm just, I, none of them are proven products, but then I see a player you want to talk about. And I'm like, all right, let me take a step back and let me hear from Andrew regarding Marquez Valdez Scantling. Yeah, I know we were talking about some Chiefs receivers and talking about that week one matchup and Valda Scantling is probably going to be, I'm probably going to have exposure to that game in a, in a form of a Marquise Brown, Valda Scantling skinny stack. Like mm -hmm. That's the way that I'm looking at it because I look at Scantling and, or Valda Scantling and I see a player that looks like a lock to be on the outside in the perimeter for the Chiefs. Whereas a lot of these other guys are kind of mixing in as, you know, slot players, you know, how is that going to be distributed? Travis Kelsey obviously operates over the middle of the field. Whereas MVS, I feel very confident saying that, okay, he's going to be the number one guy on the outside, you know, the primary downfield weapon. And you look at what he did last year playing with basically never seeing, you know, more than a couple targets here and there because of Devontae Adams, you know, he finishes a wide receiver in 20% of his games. You know, that, that rate was identical or better than Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson and CD lamb. Like those guys are all like top picks and are going to be super pricey in DFS week one. Valdez scaling is not even going to be the same stratosphere as those guys when the pricing comes out. So for me, it's so obvious that, yeah, he's going to be super hard to project week to week, you know, as a lot of these receivers are, you know, I don't think that he's going to necessarily knock the boomer bust profile off of his resume. But the fact that, you know, last year he was either a top 24 guy. So 30% of the time, he was top 24 and 70% he was a bust. But I would bet on that gap at least closing a little bit based on he got an upgraded quarterback. I think Mahomes is better than Rodgers. I don't think that's a crazy take. And I do. Should, I think that's crazy. <laughs> but, but again, for another show. Go I ahead. think that he should get a larger sum of the targets in his offense than he did ever in Green Bay. You know, just because he was limited in his role, like he never got anything underneath. You know, we could see him see some more underneath targets. Maybe he's not only just being used downfield, but 
at least I know he's going to be on the outside going downfield and Mahomes has a big arm. So I think that MBS is someone, especially for week one in DFS, he's probably going to be the Chiefs receiver I go after. You know, whether how the pricing is structured, we'll probably see Smith-Schuster be the most expensive guy. I just see more upside on a week-to-week basis from Valdez-Scantling <laughs> than Juju, who really has not shown the pop from a yards per route run, a yards after the catch. His average depth of target has obviously been horrible with Big Ben the last couple of years. I don't expect it to stay so low, but... You know, we still haven't really seen him pop, whereas MVS has been popping off big games for the last four years. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I'm somewhat convinced, and I will speculate on MVS early in the season because of that. Okay, so one more guy we want to talk about, Dalton Schultz, who has really taken command of this starting tight end role over the last two years, partially thanks to injury. I shouldn't say thanks to injury, but partially because of injury. I thought he was the less of the two talented tight ends two years ago, to be honest with you. But he has really proven to be almost like a Jason Witten type. And I'm, again... This isn't me saying, you know, Cortland Sutton's better than Cooper Cup, which, by the way, Andrew didn't say, but nobody wants context on Twitter, Andrew. <laughs> so unfortunately, you're stuck with that. But so I'm not saying Dalton Schultz is Jason Witten, but certainly you're saying Dalton Schultz has some serious pop potential. Tell us about it. Yeah, he does. You know, he finished with a very high boom rate last year, top five. So he had three top three finishes. And that's just not being priced into where he's being drafted. So Kelsey's at the top. Mark Andrews is right behind Travis Kelsey, so there's no surprise there. Kyle Pitts kind of comes in as the third tight end because of, you know, his elite talent and and prospect profile, despite the fact that he plays on what projects to be a pretty bad Atlanta Falcons offense. And then you have George Kittle and Darren Waller kind of filling out the next two guys as the top five tight ends. But all the research I've done, just looking at, you know, the booms of these players last year, how often they finished top six, top 12. I mean, Dalton Schultz should be right there with George Kittle and Darren Waller. So either George Kittle and Darren Waller are being way overvalued, which I think they are in like the third and fourth round, because, you know, what about their situation is bulletproof? Like they haven't, you know, George Kittle plays in a run heavy offense with a quarterback that has started like two games. Like that's the situation with him. Like, okay, like there's clearly flaws with that. And then Darren Waller, you just added Devontae Adams. Like this guy that could suck up targets, could command a 30% target share and eat into your red zone work. So there are glaring problems with George Kittle and Darren Waller, whereas with Dalton Schultz, you're like, all right, so like, what's the issue? Okay, yeah, they got rid of Amari Cooper. Uh, they have Lamb there. Uh, Michael Gallup's coming off an injury. They drafted Jalen Tolbert, but he's a third-round pick. And oh, Dalton Schultz has like been like the highest, one of the highest-scoring tight ends over the past two seasons. So this isn't like a fluke where Schultz has all of a sudden become like a product. A produ- and it's going back to the guy's produced, like. I get that he's not the sexy, like super athletic tight end with, you know, a super high speed score, but the guy's putting up numbers. And eventually we have to kind of consider that because that's why we play fantasy. We want guys that score fantasy points. And sometimes it's just simple as, oh, well, who scores fantasy points at tight end? Well, the guy that's done it the most over the past two seasons, like behind the, just Travis Kelsey, and Mark Andrews is Dalton Schultz. So I think that he is such a value in redraft leagues as a tight end that's kind of like falling in the middle rounds that really should be going as an elite tight end. So I really am not drafting really Andrews, Kittle, or Waller. I think Kelsey has a super high floor just based on the way that Kansas City's set up. So he's still like my number one and someone that I don't really think is crazy to take, you know, in round one or in round two. But I really just want to wait and get Schultz because I think that he has the same kind of elite upside from a fantasy perspective as those other guys I mentioned, but just he's not being priced that way. Fantastic. All right. I'm convinced. Uh, Andrew, so talk to us. First of all, that was that was all really great. And I hope everybody listening kind of knows 
how to apply that as it relates to DFS, especially, you know, we talked about schedules. There's going to be situations where some of these guys really are under the radar relative to other guys that will be rostered that are the popular names or the sexier names like Andrew was referring to with your Darren Wallers and, and, and George Kittles and, and whatnot. So this is super helpful. I got to ask you, though, you got fantasy pros there in the background. What are you doing coming up leading into toward the preseason with fantasy pros? Where can we find your work? Yep. So all my work can be found over at fantasypros.com. I'm on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore again, tweeting out some of the information from my articles and threads, whether it's behind a paywall or not. I try to provide as much information as I can, as I'm able to, because, you know, that's why, you know, that's what Twitter's for. You know, it's obviously entertainment and to kind of get away a little bit, but you also want, I want to make sure I'm adding value to, you know, your feed and to, if you're following for fantasy football purposes. So that's kind of where you can find the majority of my stuff. Also on TikTok at Andrew Erickson underscore, where I try to have a little bit fun, but now also again, add more fantasy value. All the TikTok videos are, I think are funny. You know, I'm making them. So I try to add some humor into them, but they always have some type of fantasy takeaway or value. It's not just, you know, me just doing some dumb TikTok dance. Like there is some value into it. At least I think so. So it's been, I think, Andrew, I think I've seen you post some of those on actually Twitter, right? Yes, yeah. So sometimes I'll repost them on on my Twitter feed as well. So it's uh, it's been a fun it's been a fun ride, a fun you know last couple of year and a half I think of of TikTok. But yeah, it's something like I, I kind of continue to try to you know tweak you know try to make the algorithm as happy as I can. It's not perfect science mm-hmm. quite yet. You know, I'm still trying to crack the code, but yeah, that's kind of where you can find me all those places. And always happy to talk. You know, whether it's a DM on Twitter whatever. I'm always happy to chat and talk ball. If you have questions or about anything, uh, yeah, I'm, my door is always open. Yeah. And those aren't empty words. Andrew, uh, I can, I can testify to the fact that Andrew is one of the most accessible people. And, you know, generally we're all kind of accessible, but Andrew, uh, really kind of leads the pack in my opinion. He's super bright, super accessible. His name is Andrew Erickson. You can find him at Andrew Erickson underscore at fantasy pros or on TikTok. My name is Sia Najad. This is yet another off-season series and episode of Fantasy Football Today, DFS. We'll be back with you next week, and we will see you later. Later.